home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Greetings and salutations and welcome to the podcast. My name is Doug, and since this is going to be the last episode of 2021, it seems fitting that I should give you a few updates on the basement renovations and other stuff. Basically, a year in review. 2021 has been a monumental year, and none of it would have been possible had our mortgage not come up for renewal while interest rates were at historic lows. We took advantage of that and refinanced to consolidate our debt and free up some cash. We got a new furnace and air conditioner. We upgraded to a tankless water heater. And in my garage workshop, I now have a split ductless system for heating and cooling. We discovered where our water problems originated on the one side of the basement. We had a window leak in the guest bathroom on the third level. That window was removed, the rotted framing was replaced, and then the window was reinstalled. But because of that water damage in the bathroom, I ended up completely gutting that room, as well as that side of the basement, which I had previously framed and drywalled. We had the garage attic insulated where there was no insulation before, and the rest of the attic in the house was topped up with loose fill, blown-in insulation. I completely gutted and reframed the basement while lumber prices were at an all-time high, $11 for a 2 by 4 I had a plumber rough in the new laundry area. I roughed in all the basement electrical, and I have started hanging the drywall. And that's what I'm doing now, the drywall. So, what I'm doing is buying four sheets at a time. Four sheets per week, but not necessarily every week. My rough estimate is the basement is going to require in the neighborhood of 40 sheets. So, when I said I was going to take my time, I meant it. Now, I hear what you're saying. You're saying, Doug, you use this piece of something. Why not just buy the 40 sheets you need and have them delivered and knock out the drywall in a couple weekends like a normal do-it-yourselfer? Or even hire someone to do the drywall for you? And the answer to that is finances. 40 sheets of drywall ain't cheap. Neither is the labor if I hire someone to hang them. Because it is a basement, And basements do have issues with humidity and moisture. Even though I'm satisfied that I've solved the major problems with ours, I figure, why tempt fate? So I'm using Blueboard, mold-resistant drywall. I, I know it's probably overkill, but this is something I am only going to do once. And like I said, I'm looking at 40 sheets, so this is a rather expensive venture. The price difference between Blueboard and standard drywall is around 40%. And I could save even more if I used 12-foot sheets of standard drywall, which would be about half the cost. But for me, working alone, 8-foot sheets are manageable. After all, I have to maneuver them through the house, and I don't think I could easily get the longer sheets into the basement. And 
they would be rather cumbersome to work with solo. So 40 sheets of blue board with tax. Uh, we're looking at over a thousand bucks here. Now, much like we saw with the lumber in the summer, the cost of drywall seems to be somewhat inflated right now. But four sheets per week keeps my spending to just over a hundred bucks a week. That's manageable budget-wise. And it's easy enough to slide four sheets in the back of the minivan and offload them into the house alone. But you see, I just don't have a thousand bucks right now. And I don't want to start carrying a balance on the credit card again. So I can either wait and save up the money to buy all the drywall at once. Or I can spend a hundred bucks at a time and nibble away at it now. As for hiring the pros, well, it's the same deal as it was with the electrical. I would be paying for someone else's labor when I could be doing it myself. The savings by doing it myself is probably in the neighborhood of a couple thousand dollars based on the $2 per square foot average labor for finishing drywall. So by all accounts, I am still coming out ahead. So far with the framing, the electrical, and now the drywall, I figured that I will have saved somewhere in the range of $5,000 to $7,000 by doing it myself. But let's say I did want to hire someone to do the drywall for me. Well, I would have to wait until I had enough money to pay them. So what else am I going to do in the meantime? I might as well just pay as I go, a few sheets at a time, and do it myself. While I'm spending the big bucks to invest in mold-resistant drywall, I have done some serious reconsideration when it comes to soundproofing or sound mitigation in the basement. At one time, when I was dealing with a much smaller space, I was contemplating trying to achieve almost studio quality for my home office, with soundproof drywall mounted on noise isolation clips and so on. But that was before we changed the entire layout of the basement. Now, it's just too big a space, so the cost would be astronomical. And I really don't want to break up that space. I want to have a large rec room. So, I'm still going to strategically add some rock wool safe and sound insulation in certain walls, but I'm not going to go overboard. The return on investment simply will not be worth it. When it comes to soundproofing, it is so easy to get caught up in chasing higher STC ratings. I mean, it started with just filling wall cavities with safe and sound insulation. But then, why not double up on the drywall? And if you're doubling up on the drywall, why not add some green glue between the layers? But then it wouldn't be much more expensive to use quiet rock or silent FX drywall, except that stuff is currently a hundred bucks for a four by eight sheet. And then there's resilient channels and noise isolation clips. But at the end of the day, I just don't have the ceiling height for some of these things. So I could go for a higher STC rating in the 40s or even the 50s for the walls. But the ceiling is still going to be substantially less than that. So what's the point? 
I could invest thousands of dollars, but there would still be weak points that would make all this effort futile anyway. Besides, gotta rein in the spending. Retirement is only a few years away. And it just won't add much or anything to our resale value. Next up, I previously mentioned that our washing machine was in its death throes. Well, it hasn't died quite yet. Although I'm sure by now the neighbors can hear the noises from the bad bearing. The time to buy a new machine may soon be upon us. I'm not sure if we're going to replace the dryer or not. It seems to be running just fine right now. And... Frankly, I don't care if our laundry team matches, only that it does the job that it needs to do. But it would really suck if we end up having to replace the dryer in a couple of years anyway. In a more recent episode, I talked about how our gas bill had actually gone up with the tankless water heater. Well, the last bill before we turned the heat on, the last bill when the only gas appliance in use was the water heater, well, that bill was still higher than the same period last year. Although, not by as much as our previous bill was before I lowered the temperature setting to 120. So, adjusting the temperature may have helped. But I wanted to dig deeper. So what I did was I pulled up last year's water bills and gas bills and compared them to the same periods this year. Our water usage this year is actually lower than last year, but our gas usage is higher. Now, unfortunately, the billing periods do not sync up. So, what what I mean by that is that the billing period for the gas bill is not the same as the billing period for the water bill. So, it makes it really hard to infer any correlation with any kind of accuracy. There's just no way of getting an accurate picture of our hot water usage. So my conclusion on this matter is that we seem to be paying more for hot water with the tankless heater than we were with the tank heater. I just don't have accurate data to determine just how much more. Again, there are other advantages to a tankless heater, like longer life expectancy, increased floor space, and we do save a few bucks on the homeowner's insurance because we don't have to worry about a 50-gallon tank failing and spewing water in the basement. So at the end of its life, the tankless heater might have a lower overall cost of ownership. But as far as I can tell, it fails to deliver on its promise of energy savings. Oh, and one more thing that may not be top of mind, and that is, what happens in the event of a power failure? The hot water tank and tankless heaters that I'm talking about are fueled by natural gas. Back in the olden days, the heater would simply exhaust up the chimney along with the furnace. No electricity was needed. So in the event of a power failure, there would be no interruption whatsoever to the supply of hot water. Newer models, like the one we replaced, have a power vent and exhaust through the wall. 
if the power goes out, the heater cannot exhaust. So the heater is not going to operate until the power is restored, but you still have a tank of water that has been heated, and that tank is going to keep its contents warm for a while. So you have that reserve as long as that 40 or 50 gallons lasts. The tankless heater only heats water as it's needed, so there is no reserve of heated water, which means, quite simply, that if the power goes out, the tankless heater will no longer supply hot water since the exhaust cannot be vented, and that means that even if the power just flickers, you are going to get blasted with cold water until the power is restored. This is something that we had not considered. My wife made this discovery while enjoying a hot shower. Just something to keep in mind. And finally, since I'm doing these updates, I have a confession. Last year, I shared that I lost something like 40 pounds or so during the initial pandemic lockdown. Thanks in part to taking the dog on 7 to 10 kilometer walks every day. And for a while, I was able to keep up that routine even after returning to work. Now, unfortunately, I was doing these walks with a bad knee. I had a torn meniscus. Well, last October, I had my knee scoped and the surgery did not help. In fact, my knee has been much worse following the surgery. So the marathon dog walks have unfortunately come to an end. That, along with a drastic schedule change, has led to old habits returning. (laughs) Potato chips, anyone? And along with these old habits, the weight has also returned. I'm still down about 15 pounds or so from where I was before losing the weight, but I'm definitely not where I want to be. Now, why am I mentioning this on a home improvement podcast? Well, because I kind of bragged about the weight loss on this home improvement podcast. And I just want to be honest and transparent about anything I talk about, whether it's on topic or not. And, well, a setback is a setback. And the knee and the weight do play a role in how much I'm able to accomplish when I'm renovating. So I think that about covers 2021 in a nutshell. And it gives you a good idea of where I am right now. 2022 should be a little less hectic. Slowly and surely, I will get the drywall up. The plumber shall return at some point to finish the laundry room hookups. Little things like shutoff valves and whatnot. I will plug away at the electrical. (laughs) See what I did there? And get ready for the final inspection. And then there's... The flooring, the trim, the paint, not to mention the guest bathroom, maybe some landscaping outside, and, well, maybe 2022 won't be less hectic after all. Happy holidays, everybody. I'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Cheers.